All right, gentlemen, thank you all so much for being here tonight. It's so good to see you, and I'm excited to kick off our new semester with Bellevue Men. Let me pray for us, and I want to, what I want to do tonight is I want to kind of give you an idea of how this study came about, and then what I want us to do, because we're going to be in first, second, and third John, what I want to do tonight is just set the context kind of the who, what, where, when, and why of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Because I think what happens oftentimes is people take things out of context. In order for us to understand why it was written all that, we need to really look at it in its full context. Who was John writing to? Who is John? What was John's background? All those things. So what we want to do tonight, just kind of break it down, bite-sized pieces, where we get a good foundation going into next week. And next week, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, okay? Let me pray for us and we'll dive right in. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for these men. Thank you so much for bringing them here. Lord, thank you for their families. Thank you for what you've called them to do. God, I pray you'll bless them tonight. I pray you'll encourage them. I pray Satan will have no place of discouragement in any one of these men's lives or their hearts or minds. I pray there'll be no division in their life. Lord, I pray they'll see victory. And Lord, I pray for any man that's here tonight that really just didn't want to be here. They're tired. Maybe they're struggling with something. Lord, that you would just encourage them tonight. You would just refresh them. Lord, we thank you that your word is good and it has everything in it that we need. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, how did this series come about? It's interesting. I had about four or five different ideas on where we wanted to go this semester. And back in November... Miss Dana Street, who is the director of our Bellevue Women's Ministry. Her and Miss Donna do a fantastic job leading that ministry. And then Jean Stockdale does some of the teaching. And they've got writers that write. They do a phenomenal job. As a matter of fact, don't ever go to the fellowship hall and see the set they have on stage. Because it makes what we put right here really bad, okay? So just don't even look at it. It's not there, okay? Don't even look at it. Um, But they've got a team of ladies over there who are incredible. I mean, they do such a great job. But Miss Dana stopped me in the hallway, and she said, hey, have you ever thought about the possibility of us kind of syncing up what we're teaching just so that if a, a lady over there is going to the teaching and her husband is coming over here, that it may just open up some conversation for them later on? I thought, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. She said, you know, we're not going to necessarily teach the exact same thing, but if we taught out of the same passage it could open some great conversation. I said, well, let me pray about it. So she sent me what they were doing. I looked through it. I was like, this is fantastic. So what I said, here's what we'll do. I'll teach from the same passage. And then what I'm going to do is give you a question each week. For those of you that have a lady that's over there in women's ministry, just one question that either on the way home or tomorrow, you can just ask them. And it may be something as simple as this, like this week's is, what was your big takeaway from tonight? Because by the way, you're, you're getting the short end of the stick. Terry Lee Cobble's over there right now, who, who uh, is a fantastic Bible teacher, and the ladies over there, they won't let any men over there. I already tried to get us over there, and they said no. But my wife and I do the Bible recap. If you've never done it, it's on the uh, Bible app, and you can go in there, and it's the chronological Bible, but she has a little video right there where she kind of talks through it, and she does a great job. So the ladies are in for a treat over there. You're stuck with me tonight, and I'm sorry. That's why I gave you little Debbies. But... She's, this is what uh, Miss Dana said. She said, me and, uh, and uh, the ladies have put together this, and are you, would you be interested in using this? And so I looked at it, and I, th- I said, you know, um, it's, it's nice. It's really nice. Um, but there's something about gold glitter and pink stuff.
stuff that I just don't think that's going to do it for the guys. And she said, well, what about the title? And I said, you know, I, I really feel like I'm going to have a hard time getting the guys pumped up about coming to Beloved. You know, I just feel like that's going to be difficult. And she said, why don't you just start reading through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and see what jumps out at you. And I got to a verse that I want to share with you. And I was talking with, uh, with uh, Caleb, who is not here tonight, his family, and they've been sick. He's, he said, hey, can I help pray through this with you and talk through this? And we did. His wife works in Bellevue Women and does a great job. And so we began praying. And this is the verse that we came to. It's in 3rd John. Uh, 3rd John's only one chapter. So it's verse 11. And this is what it says. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. And I thought to myself, there it is. That's what we're called to be, imitators of Christ. That's what Paul said. He said, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I'm not up here saying imitate me. I'm saying let's imitate Christ. Let's look to God's word. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is jam-packed full of a lot of doctrine, but it's also just full of a lot of simplistic principles that the early church were getting away from because of the false teaching that had crept into the church. And that's really what John's focus was, and we'll look at that in a few minutes, but there were false teachers that had crept into the church, and I'll share with you some of the things that they talked about and some of the things that they began teaching and, and how and why John was combating those things, and ultimately what he was doing is just pointing them to Christ. My favorite type of teacher whether it's a school teacher or a Bible teacher, is somebody that can take things and break it down simplistically. Simple, easy to understand, and John does a great job of giving us bite-sized pieces in here where we can dig into those things and we can do that, okay? So here's what I want us to do. Um, we don't have a paper on the table that has you sign your name to it. That's how we did registration and checking everything. So here's what I need you to do. I need everybody to take out your phone, Everybody take out your phone, and you're going to go to your text messages, and you're going to just text men to 901-901. So instead of typing in a phone number, type in 901-901, and just text the word in the, in the text spot there. Just text the word men, capital M-E-N, and that will immediately, it's going to register you in this class. The only way it's not going to register you in the class is if you've never been to anything at Bellevue and your name's not in there. It's going to shoot you back something and ask for some more information. You can do that later, but I need, need you to take just a second to do that, and you say, why do you do this? Well, if you've pre-registered, I still want you to do this because it'll show you being here tonight, but if you didn't pre-register, it's going to put you in that organization, and at 745, I already have an email that's scheduled to go out with the homework assignment for next week, and I want you to be able to be in there so that you're going to get that homework, okay? And so each Wednesday night at 745, you're going to receive an email that's going to have the homework for the next week. You say, we got homework? Well... It's not that difficult. I'm going to give you about a chapter, sometimes not even going to be that much, maybe five to eight verses, and I'm going to ask you to read those throughout the week and answer a few questions. I'm not going to ask you to come up here and talk about them. It'll be for you to talk around your table. So text men to 901-901. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put 10 minutes on the screen, and I want you at your table to just get introduced to one another. Most, a lot of you know each other around the table. Some of you don't know each other at all, okay? So here's what you're going to answer. Each man at the table is going to give their name. They're going to give where they go to church. Some of you don't go to Bellevue. That's okay. We are happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Tell a little bit about your family. If you're married, all that good stuff. Give us a hobby, all right? I know there's some golfers over here. We talked about it. Um, so talk about a hobby, what you do for a living, and then an interesting fact about yourself. It could be something nobody knows. It could be something that just nobody in this room knows but give something interesting about yourself. Now, here's the deal. 
10 minutes seems like a long time, but some of you have the gift of tongue, okay? And I don't mean like interpretation and prophetic words. I mean you have the gift of gab, okay? This is not a commentary on your life. This is to get to know the guys around your table. So take these few minutes, each one of you, walk through these things. Ready, set, go. All right, gentlemen. I hope each of you had enough time around the table to introduce yourself. If you didn't do that, you'll have a few minutes towards the end where you can do that. But I've been praying over the last couple semesters that God would really develop relationships around these tables and that maybe God would bring some new men into your life or he would just strengthen some relationships you already had. And last semester, um, I don't think either one of these guys are in here tonight, but we had a, a gentleman sitting at a table who shared some things, uh, and, and uh, another guy said, uh, hey, would you want, ever want to get coffee? And he said, sure, let's get coffee. Well, their stories were very similar. And God was really doing a work in their lives, and they have just become buddies. And this, this, this one gentleman is really pouring into the other one. And I'm praying because, guys, I don't know if you really, we need people. And we would probably never say, hey, I, I need help, or I need encouragement, or I need someone to speak into my life, or I need someone, but we need that. And so I've been praying that God will raise that up through these relationships and conversations around the table. So we're going to have some more conversation throughout the next couple of weeks. We'll only do one more table discussion tonight, and it's towards the end. Because really, there's a whole lot of information that I'm going to throw at you. <clears throat> you've got a piece of paper to write some of it down, but don't feel like you've got to write all this stuff down. I really want to just set some context to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That way, as we get into stuff in the next 10 weeks after tonight, we have kind of the, the, the groundwork set as to why John was writing this, who he was writing to, and then how does that apply to us today? Sometimes we try to take scripture and make it fit where we are, and, and that's not even the reason it was written. So we got to be careful with that. So let's kind of set some context tonight. So we're in... Uh, first, second, third John. So we're just going to go through the background tonight and kind of kind of do the, the who, what, where, when, how, that kind of thing. So who? Well, who wrote the book? John wrote the book. Now, there's a couple Johns. So which John are we talking about? Let me give you some stuff. Now, the epistle itself, in other words, first, second, third John itself does not identify the author. You know how Romans starts out where he says, uh, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James starts out, says James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in here does it say that John wrote this. So it makes you want to stop and ask the question, how, how do we know, how do we even get the title John here? Why do we believe that the John that we believe wrote it? How do we believe that? And so there's some things that we'll look through and talk about. Um, the early church testimonies ascribed to it being John, John the disciple. John that Jesus had called. He called him and his brother James to be disciples, to follow him. And so the early church fathers, the, the, the ones that were close to the original writing past John, would have they said that John is the one who wrote these books. So we've got to look at all of those things contextually and see, and that story lines up with all the church fathers that they would say John wrote it. Now, John had a brother named James. If you remember, when they were called as disciples, they were the sons of Zebedee. So these two brothers have been called as two of the 12 disciples to follow Jesus. What's interesting about John is um, he really, um, well, they became disciples of Jesus, and then Jesus gave them the name Sons of Thunder. Okay, so you'll hear them spoken of as sons of thunder. But what's interesting about John is, is John was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. 
You know, Jesus had his 12, right, these 12 men. But there were other people outside the 12. But when you hear him talk about the disciples, there were 12. And then there were three that were a little closer. And we see in different stories in the the, uh, Gospels that Jesus spent a little bit of extra time with these guys, and they had some different conversations that were a little bit more intimate sometimes. And then you even see Peter kind of being in the inner circle of that inner circle. Peter was really close to Jesus, but John was one of those three. And here's what I love about John, and this is why I think it's so important that we understand who actually wrote the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's that John was an eyewitness to Jesus' earthly ministry. That's important. That's key. And the reason it is so key is because the false teachers that had crept into the church, they were teaching things that were so off. They were heretical. Things like Jesus Christ was not really God's son and he wasn't really human at the same time. He was either one or the other. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a couple moments. But it was important that the person that wrote this and was combating these false teachings would have been somebody that had spent intimate time with Jesus himself. And so through Jesus' three years of ministry, John was right there with them. Also, he wrote the Gospel of John, so the fourth of the Gospels, and he also wrote Revelation. So outside of Paul, John is the biggest contributor to the New Testament. He wrote five books in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 or 14 depending on whether you believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say he did, some people say he didn't. It's either 13 or 14 books, and John would have been the second biggest contributor to the New Testament. This guy knew his stuff. God used him mightily. At the point of when we believe that he wrote this book, he would have been the only one of the apostles left. Everybody else had died at that point. They had been martyred for their faith, and he was the one that was really giving some apostolic leadership over a bunch of churches, specifically in Asia, Asia Minor. So that's kind of the who. Now, when? When was it written? That's unknown. We don't really know because the three books do not give us anything that really tells other than him combating some of the false teaching. You say, well, how do you know that he's combating some false teaching? Does he specifically say in here, you have heard it said, but this is what actually said. No, what you do is you've got to line it up with the teachings of that time, and you'll realize, here's the deal. Okay, spoiler alert, Gnosticism, and I'll give you some some definition of what that is, it was coming into the church. It was kind of the beginning of Gnosticism. It wasn't called Gnosticism. It eventually turned into that, but that's where the false teachers were leading them. And when you look throughout 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you see John combating that very idea. So that's the when. Now where? Where was John and who was he writing to? Where were they? John was in Ephesus. That's what we believe. He wrote from Ephesus. He spent a, long time, a lot of time in Ephesus. Ephesus is important because John was given leadership over the churches in Asia Minor. The reason Ephesus is so important is because Ephesus was right there kind of in the center of Asia Minor. So he would have been in a great spot. He wasn't way on one end where it would have taken him forever to get to the other side. He's kind of right there in the middle. He's kind of the hub where he could get around to the different churches and he could write to them and get them that stuff quickly. So he wrote what we believe is from Ephesus. Now, who did he write to? He wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, and this is where John exercised his apostolic leadership. In other words, the Holy Spirit had led, Paul, had led John to oversee 
these churches all throughout Asia Minor, and he was kind of the figurehead that they would look to. They would ask questions. He would help them if there was division in the church or if they were looking for help or if they were looking for encouragement or all of those things. They would look to John, and he would give them leadership. This is very important. Because what we're going to see is a lot of false teachers that were creeping into the church were not at this level of leadership, but they were acting like they were. And I would submit to you in 2024, we've got a lot of false teachers all throughout. I'm not saying here at Bellevue, but I'm saying all throughout the country, all throughout the world, we've got a lot of false teachers. And nowadays, they're not just creeping into the church. They have set up camp, and they are blatantly going against Scripture. And they're pulling as many people as they can. But here's the deal. This is no surprise whatsoever. Because the devil is the father of lies. And he is the one that is twisting all of this. And what happens is, guys, I'm just going to be honest. What happens is the devil will take a lot of truth and he will mix in a little junk with it. And that permeates all the truth. It's no longer true. I, I, I never want to offend anybody, but sometimes you just got to call things like they are. My uncle is a speaker in the Jehovah's Witness religion. And he has given me the Watchtower, their little magazine, for years and years and years. When I was younger, I began to become interested in what other people believed. And I can remember sitting down with my father and opening up the Watchtower and reading and thinking, wow, that's, I, yeah, I agree with that. Wow, that's, that's good. I agree with that. And then you get somewhere in the middle of this three or four pages, and you're like, oh, my goodness. That is completely against the Scripture. And what they do is they, they sandwich a lie with all of this truth. And the devil begins pulling people away. And this is exactly what false teachers were trying to do in the early church here. So that is the who, when, and where. Now let me give you the why. And this is important. Why did John write? Well, he wrote because false teachers had crept into the church. He wrote because those new ideas that those false teachers were giving to the churches later on led up to Gnosticism. You say, okay, some of you say, I know what Gnosticism is. Some of you say, I don't know what it is. Before I took a class and we studied this, I had no idea what it was. I'm just going to give you some stuff about it just so you kind of have an understanding of where and what was happening in these churches, but also because I want you to see that in the church of today, I'm not talking about the actual ecclesia, the actual Christians, people that have been saved by God. I'm talking about in organizations that call themselves churches that meet in buildings and teach a lot of this junk. You will see that you still hear a lot of this kind of stuff. And so here it is, Gnosticism, the most dangerous form of heresy that threatened the early church. Now, there were all types of form of heresy, but this is one that was creeping in, and a lot of people were getting swayed. It advocated a dualism. What do you, what do you mean by that? They asserted that matter was inherently evil and spirit was good. Matter, things that are physical, are automatically evil, and they're going to stay evil, but those things that are spirit are good. When you hear that, you say, okay, well, I, you know, we're, we're born sinners. I see that. And outside of being born again in the spirit, Christ saving us, we can't be good. So, you know, people say, well, maybe I kind of I agree with that. But here's where it begins to get sideways. They attributed some form of deity to Christ. You don't have to tell me anything else. That's all I need to know. They 
listen, they attributed some form of deity. Not that he was God. But denied his true humanity to preserve him from evil. In other words, if you say the physical is evil and the spirit is good, Jesus Christ therefore could have never become man. He could have never become human because then Jesus would have become evil. You say, well, I, you know, I still don't know if that's horrible. Well, let's go on a little bit further. They cl- claimed elevated knowledge, a higher truth known only to those in on deep things. You see some of this. Now, I'm not saying that Gnosticism and Catholicism go hand in hand, but you even see some of this in the Catholic Church. The Pope will say one thing, and that, that trumps the Bible, okay, because he's been given a revelation from the Lord. Now, listen, I believe God speaks to people. I believe God speaks to people. I'll be honest with you, I believe God has spoken to me. I'm not talking about audibly, but in that still small voice, I believe the Spirit of God has said things to me before. Just a couple weeks ago, I was praying about something, and I was getting ready to pull the trigger on something, and, this, and I, I, I'm just telling you, it wasn't a feeling, but I felt a sense of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's the presence of God that says, don't do that. Just trust me. I, I believe he spoke to me. So I'm not saying that God doesn't talk to people. But when somebody comes to you and they say, God has revealed something to me that he hasn't revealed to anybody else, you, you better be careful. As a matter of fact, if you go to seminary and you sit through a lot of classes like I have for quite a few years now, and, and prayerfully one day I'm gonna be able to make it out of their life, uh, you will hear almost every single professor will say there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know if I've ever heard a professor not say that. Said most people are saying the same thing, just saying it different ways if they're walking with the Lord. So when somebody says, hey, Holy Spirit's revealed something to me and, it, and, and it's something different than what the Bible says, you, listen, <laughs> run. Run. Get away from them. And so you see what's happened. They've crept into the church, and when you claim that there's an elevated knowledge, listen, only the initiated had the mystical knowledge of truth that was higher even than Scripture. That's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. Guys, Scripture's all we got, that and the Holy Spirit. We don't have anything else. We don't have anything else. To be honest with you, we don't need anything else. And when somebody says to me, well, you know, you can preach from the Bible, that's fine, but you can also, no, 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 no. The Scripture's what we have. And now, now I get when we talk about in apologetics and people are talking about, well, you know, when you share the gospel, sometimes you don't start with the Bible. I understand what they're saying, But guys, apart from the Bible and the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything. That's where all the power is. You and I don't have any power except with the Holy Spirit. And so we start, I believe, we start with the Word of God. Okay, So they're they're watering all this stuff down. Gnosticism had two basic forms. Two basic forms. Listen to them. Number one, some asserted that Jesus' physical body was not real but only seemed to be physical. In other words, God has sent his son Jesus to come down to earth. He looked like a human, but he wasn't actually a human. Guys, that, that actually goes against what the scripture says. It's not that you could, well, I could see how you could interpret that differently. No, the, the Bible actually says he was fully God and he was fully man. Uh, it's what it says. As a matter of fact, listen to how John starts in 1 John chapter 1. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, 
what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In other words, God sent his son Jesus down. He manifested himself. He came down to earth. He said, we saw him with our own eyes. You see why it's important that who wrote this book to combat what was going on was somebody that had actually physically been with Jesus. John is able to say, I've seen him, I've touched him, I know that he was here. He says, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's hard to have fellowship with somebody you don't agree with on a very deep level. Now, let, 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 me, let, me, let me back up for just a moment. Can, can a Christian have fellowship and a relationship with, with a non-Christian? Yes, I believe we are to build relationships with people that aren't Christians. I believe that. You say, well, what, why should we do that? Because I believe that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we are to be salt and light. We're to go out into the world. But the purpose of us having relationships with lost people is not just to have a good time. The purpose for that is so that we would build a relationship with them and we would share Jesus Christ with them and one day they would give their lives to Jesus. That's the purpose. And so what he says right here is, so that you may have fellowship with us, believers, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John is combating what they said when they said Jesus came to earth, but he was not man. The second of the basic forms of Gnosticism is this. Christ's spirit descended on the human Jesus at his baptism, but left him just before he was crucified. Now, I don't know where you get that. Jesus is on the cross, and while he's on the cross, he's having a conversation with the Father. And he is on the cross forgiving people of their sins. It's amazing. So I don't know where you can get that from. And then he goes to the grave, and after three days, he rises again. You see where all the wheels begin to fall off, and all these other false teachings have to follow all these things. Because if you don't believe Jesus was God when he died on the cross, you therefore aren't going to believe that he rose from the dead. If you don't believe that he rose from the dead, why follow him at all? You see where it all begins to fall apart. And this is what has crept into the church. And you say, oh my goodness, this stuff crept in the church? Yes, and it's creeping in our churches as well. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it has at Bellevue. I've not seen anything like it. I've not heard anything like it. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons, and I said this on Sunday, that I've been thankful God has left me here. March, I'll have been here 18 years. And I'm so thankful God has left me here because I believe we have a pastor that will not compromise the word of God for any reason. And I'll be honest with you, I sat in Brother Steve's office with four other men one time, and he said, guys, it was, it was young, young guys that he was discipling, and this is what he said. He said, if you will hold true to what you believe right now, he said, I believe by the end of your lives that you will be persecuted for it. And he said, I could even see in, at some point people going to prison for what we're preaching. And he said, but guys, I can't imagine doing anything else. There's a man that I can follow because he realizes we will not compromise this. And I'm thankful. That trickles down. You see, leadership affects the people that are under them. And so 
what the people that are coming here and that are teaching, they're people that love the word of God because our pastor loves the word of God. And, 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 and our office of the pastor loves the word of God. And the people under them love the word of God. And our lay leaders and deacons love the word of God. And that's exactly where John was. He loved the word of God and he did not want to compromise whatsoever. And so it's interesting because it says Christ's spirit descended on the human Jesus at his baptism but left him just before he was crucified. Listen to what John said in 1 John 5, 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. In the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. What does he say right here? He says he came of water and blood. He came as a human being, but he also came from God. And when he died on the cross, he shed his blood so that you and I can have the forgiveness of sin. You said, Derek, you just gave us a whole lot of information. I don't know how important it is. Guys, I think it's very important. Because what we need to understand as we go into the next 10 weeks and we begin to break some of this stuff down is what John is actually trying to accomplish. He's trying to re-educate the church on the basic foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And sometimes what we have to do to be our best is to go back to the basics. I read an article the other day of a major league pitcher, and he talked about how he had grown up, played little league, and gone through all the different ones, and he pitched in high school and had an incredible career in high school, and then he pitched four years in college, had an incredible college career, and now he's been in the majors for about 10 years, and he's been doing great, but last year he struggled to find his curveball. He said, I really struggled. I could throw my other pitches, but the curveball I had lost, and so the the guy that was interviewing him, he said, he's, <clears throat> I can't remember who it was because I read, a couple, read about a couple pictures lately. But he said this. He said, the, the interviewer said, so what are you going to do? How are you going to find your curveball? He said, that's easy. He said, I'm going to go back to my junior high baseball coach this summer. And he's agreed to meet with me for twice a week for four weeks. He said, I can't believe I'm going to get eight sessions with one of the best coaches I've ever had. And the interviewer said, well, that's interesting you say that. Why don't you go to your high school coach or why don't you go to your college coach or why don't you go to one of these pitching coaches in the Major League Baseball? Why go back to your junior high coach? He said, because he makes it so easy and he just gets down to the basics. And this is what the guy said. He said, sometimes you've got to throw all that stuff out the window and you just got to get to the basics. This is exactly what John is doing. So, so that's kind of some background. Now what I want to do is I want to give you the purpose of John's writing, there are four purposes. Now, I did not write these. This came out of a, a commentary that I'm reading by a guy named Dr. David Allen. Now, Dr. Allen was a preaching professor at Southwestern Seminary. He's great friends with Brother Steve, and I had the opportunity to meet him a few years ago and listen to him preach, and I, I enjoyed his writing. And then, in a couple years ago, he came over and is now a preach, the preaching professor over across the street at Mid-America. And so I had the opportunity this past semester to sit under Dr. Allen's preaching class and to listen to him on a weekly basis. And I'm telling you, this guy is incredible. He has a library of 30,000 books. Now, you've never even looked at 30,000 books, let alone read 30,000 books, let alone bought 30,000 books. He's traveled all over the world. Somebody asked him, Dr. Allen, have you read every single one of those books? He said, no, but that is my goal before I die. I mean, the guy is just a machine. And so this is what he said in his commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is what he said. He said, number one, John wrote to combat false teachers who were, who were beginning to infiltrate the church. So exactly the information that I gave you earlier, 
False teachers are creeping in. They are swaying. Listen, they're swaying baby Christians. They're swaying people that are not mature enough to understand that the teaching in which they're getting is not doctrinally sound. And so that's what Dr. Allen says. He says, number two, he said there was an ethical reason John wrote the book. There's an ethical reason. He said, because of attitudes towards sin, one of the things that they were seeing creep into the church is that sin was no longer that big of a deal. Now, I don't know if you've looked at America lately, but that is very much the case in our culture. And I'll go a little further than that. In a lot of churches, that is not the case anymore. We've got to quit watering it down and just call sin, sin. This is exactly what he's doing. He's not going to back down. And he really had a nasty taste in his mouth over the way people were treating sin. It wasn't a big deal. And then he says, out of the necessity of love for other Christians, what they were seeing was a lot of division in the church, a lot of backbiting, a lot of gossiping, all those things. That's, that's not of God. God wants us to be united. God wants us to encourage one another, not talk behind each other's back. And so he was writing in such a way to encourage them to love one another. So there was an ethical reason. Then Dr. Allen says that there was a pastoral reason. He was a pastor at heart. So there was a pastoral reason for him writing. He says, number one, for the health of the church. Now, I I read an article four or five years ago, and I don't remember who wrote it, but it was literally titled, The Health of the Modern Day Evangelical American Church. And as I read that article, and I listened to that guy that wrote the article, I don't even know who he was. He was seeing trends and things in churches today that was really sad, but it was very true. And he was concerned about the health of the church. His pastoral heart had a concern for that. He was concerned about the strengthening of Christians in their faith. He was wanting to build up and encourage their faith and take them deeper into the word of God and not see them stray away. And then he was concerned about fellowship with believers and with Christ, which we read in verse four, that he wanted them to have fellowship with one another and fellowship with Christ. And then the fourth reason he said that, uh, Dr. Allen said he wrote it, is a personal reason, a personal reason, and here's what he said. So that our joy may be complete. That's, that's why he wrote these four reasons, and you see that in 1 John 1, 4. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Guys, why do I give you so much information? Because I want to make sure as we get in here that we don't try to take and twist Scripture to fit where we are in our lives. What we need to do is understand why it was written, who it was written to, what the purpose was, and then how does it apply to us today. And so I want to make sure that we understand false teachers have crept in. False teachers have crept into American culture today in our churches. And our people, why do you think so many students graduate high school and they never enter the doors of a church again? I think there's a few reasons. But I think one of them is they don't know the word of God. And they certainly don't know the God of the word. There was a time in my life as a 15-year-old boy where I came in, I had been saved since I was seven. I had surrendered to ministry when I was 13, and I was 15 years old. And I went in late one night. My dad was studying for a sermon he was going to preach that Sunday. I said, Dad, I said, I don't know if what I'm about to tell you is even going to make sense. He said, okay, what you got? I said, I just wanted you to know 
that God is no longer just your God. He's my God too. See, for quite a few years, I was worshiping my parents' God. I understood who he was to a point, I I guess. But I really didn't have an intimate relationship with him. And then I began to read and pray, and my relationship with the Lord grew. And I desire that same thing for my children, that they would no longer want to go to church because of me or my wife. They would want to go to church because they want to be with God and be with God's people. And I believe this is why John is writing the book. And so what I want to tell you is, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to have, I gave you a lot of information tonight. We're going to have more table discussion in weeks to come than we did tonight. I just want to make sure we set the context straight before we move forward. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to go one more table discussion. And it's this. Why did you sign up for this class? Now, stop right there. Some of you just need to be honest, and you need to just go ahead and tell the guys at your table, your wife signs you up. And that's fine. There's no shame in that. Or, well, you know, my wife's over there, my kids are over there, and and I was tired of people, you know, staring at me in the lobby because I wasn't going to class, so I decided to come over here because I heard you had snacks. Well, there's not going to be snacks here next week, but you're going to be back anyways, okay? All right, so why did you sign up for this class, and what are you hoping to learn here in this class? What are you hoping to learn? Take a few minutes, talk about it around your table. I got a couple things for you before we leave, and then we're going to pray over each other and get out of here, okay? All right, take a few minutes. All right, guys. Just a couple housekeeping things, and then we're going to pray and get out of here. Um, The first one, someone just asked me, hey, when are we going to have snacks? That's always the most important thing. You're like my children, okay? You know, you're in the middle of eating lunch. Like, what are we having for dinner? Uh, That's that's how you are, okay? Um, Okay, so here's your snack days. I'll send them out to you and remind you, okay? Everybody got that? All right, now this is is like soccer for four-year-olds. We're having orange slices and Capri Suns. No. No, we're, gonna, we're looking at a nacho bar and some stuff, so those are going to be the dates. Hey, if you came in late and you did not do this, please text MEN to 901-901. That'll put you right in the organization because in 17 minutes, an email's going out with me with the homework for the week and that kind of stuff, and I want you to be able to get that each week, okay? Um, let's see. I think I got one more thing. Just going to give you some homework for this week. Yes, homework. It's not that difficult. You can do this. So this first one, this question, I wanted to give something that you can ask your wife if she's in Bellevue Women. Hey, what did you learn tonight? What was your big takeaway tonight? Hopefully, she'll in turn ask you, which is going to hold you accountable to actually pay attention when you're in here and actually read as we go through this, okay? She's just going to ask her the question, hey, what was your big takeaway? I'll have a different question each week uh, that may have to do more with the exact passage we're in, but I want you to ask her that question tonight or tomorrow. Then what I want you to do is read the first chapter of 1 John. So it's only 10 verses. You can do that, all right? We got seven days, okay? I feel... I believe in you. You can do this, okay? Ten verses. But here's what I want you to do. This is something I started doing probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And whenever I read a passage of Scripture or I read in the morning, um, I ask these three questions. What does it say about God? So is there something in here? Almost every passage is going to give you something about God. He's mighty. He's righteous. He's truth. He's glorious. He Uh, he's a jealous God, he's a wrathful God, he's the God of all mercies. All of these things are all throughout Scripture, and I love to see the different things that come out of the different passages. What does it say about God? Secondly, what does it say about man? It's an easy question for you to look at and just say, is this saying anything about man that we're sinful or we're selfish or we're like sheep without a shepherd? I mean, you can get all kinds of stuff, guys. 
And it's amazing how you could sit down with four guys that did the same thing all week, and each one of you may get something different. And I love that. I love that, how God will, God will do that. And then the last thing is, what does it call me to do? If I read these passages, are these, is this passage calling me to do anything? And if so, how am I going to go about doing that? So that's my challenge for you this week. Read those 10 verses. Maybe read it a couple times. Maybe read it once each morning. You can read three chapters in about 15 minutes. I feel like you can read 10 verses in just a couple minutes, okay? So do that a couple times this week. That is your challenge. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to end early. Now, that's never happened in here. And I just told Tony in the back, this is why we're going to end early, because I'm going to bank these minutes, Okay? I'm going to bank these, and one night when we need to go an extra 15 minutes or so, I've got them, okay? I've got them. Because last semester, I went over four minutes one night. I said, I'll give it back to you. The next week, I ended three minutes early, and someone walked up to me, you know who you are, and said, you still owe us a minute, okay? So, so I'm just preparing for the rest of the semester, okay? So here's how we're going to end. I want one man at each table just to pray a blessing over that table. When you're done there, you stay as long as you want. Once y'all are done, you're dismissed. Please, please, please eat the rest of the little Debbie's, drink the rest of the coffee and hot chocolate. I don't want to take it home, okay? Ready, set, go. <laughs>